You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. Starting at verse number 1, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. And the king said unto Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. It came to pass that night. The word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shall thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all of the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me a house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as before time. And, as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee, that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. This is the word of the Lord. And we hear it this morning and see it as God intends us today. I wonder this morning if you've ever had a conversation with maybe a loved one, a friend, uh, perhaps even uh, a chance meeting, maybe an interview, and you sat down and during the course of that conversation you had no idea, nor could you ever imagine that that one initial conversation, maybe it seemed so insignificant, but it would blossom into something greater than you could ever think of. Years ago, I was 12, and that was years and years ago. 
And I give you this story not to give you advice about dating or teenagers or anything. I'm just giving you the story to, to give you an example of what I'm talking about this morning. But at the age of 12, I went to a new school for the first time. It was grade 8. And no, I was not in grade 8 because I was a genius at 12 years old. It was because I started school early. My birthday's in November. Had nothing to do with being a genius. I know this surprises many of you, right? But that's not what happened. And, and as I got to the school, there was a girl in my class who was older than me who took an interest in me and wanted to be my girlfriend. Can you blame her? And so we became boyfriend and girlfriend, and, and this was this relationship that we had. Th- these were the days of notes. Remember notes? We used to write notes way back when. Do you like me? Yes or no? Circle one. Uh, and we would communicate by phone. But, but there wasn't a cell phone. It was a phone that was mounted to your wall. And wherever the phone was is where you had to talk, unless you had a 30-foot cord. And then you could go throughout the house, and it got all tangled up, and it was a nightmare, all right? I remember one evening talking to my girlfriend on the phone. It was a Friday night. And unbeknownst to me, she had a friend there at her house, and there were neighborhood boys outside of her window who, while I was talking to her, they wanted to talk to her friend and to her. And I didn't realize at the time, but my girlfriend wanted to talk to the neighborhood boys. Can you blame them? And so she decided to take the phone and give it to the girl who was staying with her so that she would talk to me while my girlfriend went out and talked to the neighborhood boys. Are you still with me? Right? Good relationship. And while I was on the phone at about 12 years old with this girl's friend, I could have never imagined in my life that that would be the beginning of a 35-year love affair. That was my wife. That was the first conversation we had. What is it? Oh. (laughs) Don't Don't encourage her. Don't. 38? 12 plus 35? Okay, whatever. It's a long time. I was just overwhelmed by the thought of that, that I was just not even thinking straight, my dear. Man. Yeah, whatever, shut up. Um, I, I would have never imagined that that was the beginning, that conversation. We had fun, we talked, we, we enjoyed one another. That was the beginning. And as you read this text, I, I don't know if you see it, maybe you don't, maybe, maybe it's not, but here's David. And it opens with him sitting in his house. He's just sitting in his home, and he's with Nathan the prophet. They're in his place, in his space, and, and I, I imagine they're having a coffee with one another. Maybe kings from the you know, 1000 BC didn't have coffee, maybe tea, maybe, I, I don't know what they had, maybe frappes, I'm not sure. But, but you have the picture that here they are sitting as friends, having this, this just innocent conversation where David is sort of just pouring his heart out to his friend and saying, man, this is my desire. This is what I'd like to do. This is what's in my heart. And you see this conversation that I promise you. As it begins, David could have never imagined that the beginning of this conversation was the beginning of a promise that God would make to him. We call it the Davidic covenant. 
And David, just giving his heart in this, in this innocent setting, could have never foreseen what God was going to do at the start of this conversation. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, when I studied for this text, I had two points. And the first point, I'm going to skip this morning. I'm going to just give you a quick review, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. The first point is I want you to notice some things about God's people. I'm fully aware that as we look at the Bible, there are stories in the Bible, there are examples in the Bible, they're for us to learn principles, lessons, um, to watch the lives of God's saints so we can make adjustments. We, we know that. And I think you do find that here. I think as you look at the relationship of David and Nathan, there are several things that sort of stand out that, that we should be aware of. And let me just mention them quickly in passing, but I'm not going to stay here. So it's going to be quick. You can jot them down. It'd be worth your while to maybe look at them next week sometime. But I, I do want you to notice just quickly that um, they had a strong relationship. This was a godly man. Both were godly men. David was a man after God's own heart, and Nathan was the prophet of God. There was this wonderful relationship, and Nathan influenced David. He truly did. Um, and if you doubt that, you'll find later, and we already read it, but it was sort of futuristic, that David names one of his sons Nathan. You don't name your children names of people you hate. right? If I said, or if you said, I hate your mother, but let's name our daughter after her, we would think you were crazy. You wouldn't do that. Nathan influences David in a good, godly way. Listen, just in passing, believer, you need to know this. Who your friends are, you will become. I don't care who you are today. You look at the friends you hang with, and I'm not talking about being isolationist and not in our own little Christian circle, but I'm talking where you end up, where you find comfort, where you're comfortable, who your friends are, if they are gossipers, if they are critical, if they are always unkind, you will become what they are. And I'm talking to teenagers and I'm talking to adults this morning. Our friends do influence us. But David had this godly influence from Nathan. And, and this is the way relationships should work. Nathan encourages him to do the right thing. You, we ought to have friends who encourage us to do right. And Nathan says, hey, do what, what's on your heart. But then God speaks to Nathan. He comes back to David and says, hey, Dave, guess what? Don't do that. I got a fuller revelation here. Don't do that. And if you remember this relationship, we get to chapter 11, the tragedy of chapter 11 with Bathsheba. And do you know who it is who gets in David's face and says, you are the man? It's Nathan, his friend. And so they had a, a strong, vibrant relationship. Number two, you, you see this, I, I think, that um, they didn't see all sides of it. David says, this is what I want to do. Nathan says, great job, do it. But they didn't see what God's plan was. And it's a reminder for all of us that we don't see 360 in our life. We all have blind spots. We all need somebody in our life to say, hey, listen, this might be good, this is best. That's the whole idea of the church. That we need people in our life to come alongside of us and say, brother, sister, I love you. But you're not seeing all of this. And then finally, in this portion, I want you to see that David was serviceable when he was humble. God finds him when he's, he's a shepherd boy. In the Christian economy, believer, you will never be of any true value until we understand humble service. And this morning, if service, if humble service is beneath you, 
I don't do that. If that's beneath you, then let me tell you something in Christianity. Leadership is beyond you. It's beyond you. Hey, teenager, how can you lead in the youth department if you don't know how to serve? Hey, Christian, minister, deacon, elder, how can you truly lead and shepherd people if you don't understand what Christ said about that he who will be great, let him be your servant? Husbands, how can you lead your home if you do not understand we are to serve our wives, our children, and others? And so, so that's the point. That's it for that lesson. Okay, that's, notice God's people. Tuck that away. Look at it sometime, if you would. But, but what I want to hammer home this morning is my second point. And the second point is this, to God's people. Brother and sister in Christ this morning, I want you to notice your God. The events of the last few days have been troubling. It's an understatement. I love what Corey Tenboom said. She said, Look to the world and be distressed. Right? If you're not yet, go watch the news this afternoon. Look to the world and be distressed. Look to yourself and be depressed. Because you can't. And then she says, look to Jesus and find rest. That's right. And, and my goal this morning is to say, yeah, we can notice things about God's people and God's servants. But God's people this morning, we must draw attention to the God who is. We must look to him and look full in his wonderful face. And so, this morning, just four things about we as God's people noticing our God. Number one, I want you to know this morning from the text that our God is steadfast. He is steadfast in his word. For those of you who know a little bit about theology, 2 Samuel chapter 7 Volumes have been written about the Davidic covenant. This is it. That God promises David, David, you will have a kingdom that will go on forever. And we could spend the rest of our time there. But what he's saying is, God is steadfast at his word. And this covenant, this promise to David, is a promise that that just didn't happen in isolation. The truth is, we see God's steadfastness with these covenants throughout the entire Old Testament. It begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Adam and Eve believed that they knew better than God, they believed that God was a killjoy. They believed that God was keeping something from them. They believed that they knew better. And so they sinned and they grasped what was not theirs. And from that point, through all of humanity into chaos. And God, as the holy, righteous God of heaven, the creator of all things, had every right to completely destroy them at that point. But he doesn't. He judges them. And yet, in his judgment, there's mercy. He says, hey, just that you know, I am not going to turn my back on creation. I've got a plan, and here's the plan. The seed of the woman. My plan will come through humanity. The seed of the woman. Yes, the seed of Satan will bruise his heel. But I want you to know something. The seed of the woman will crush his 
skull. Do you know what that is? That's Easter, my friend. That's Easter. I love what Russell Moore says. I've used it before. He said, tremble, O proud snake king. The spike-scabbed foot on your skull isn't dead tissue anymore. You think about that. If you didn't get that, I'll, I'll say it again sometime. It's worth understanding what he just said. Hey, at that moment on Easter, Christ conquered sin, death, and the grave, and Satan. Wonderful thing. God says, I promise you, through the seed of the woman, through humanity. And what God does then is he sort of narrows it down. Um, Genesis chapter 12, we find the promise to Abraham. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to know something. Not only humanity, we're going to move from humanity to the Jewish nation. And Abraham, by your seed, the entire world will be blessed. Can I tell you something this morning? By Abraham's seed, the Jewish nation, the entire world has been blessed. We have received the word of God from Jews. We have received the son of God from the Jewish line. And then it goes down, and he narrows it down. He says, in Judah, the end of Genesis, in Judah, the scepter, the scepter will be there. There will be a king that will come out of Judah. And then we come to David, and God says, David, I want you to know something. You will have a kingdom that will last forever and ever. We follow that through to the Old Testament, and we see that this child will be born in Bethlehem. And in the New Testament, Jesus walks on the scene. In the fullness of time, he came. He came. He lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he will rule and reign forever. God is steadfast in his word. I want you to notice something about this covenant that he makes. Verse number 12 of our text, he tells David that, listen, no matter what happens, I will be true to my word, he says, number one, that man's brief lifespan will not, will not annul this. David, you're going to die, this promise will continue. He says in verses 14 and 15, man's bent towards sin will not annul this. Your sons after you will sin, my covenant is true. And then finally he says that not any time scale will stop this covenant. It will last forever and ever. God is steadfast in his word. Can I tell you some believer? We not only find this here in, in the Old Testament, but God is faithful through his word throughout the entire Bible. And this morning, listen to me, you can Bank your eternal soul on the word of God. It is true. It is steadfast. He is steadfast in his word. He is steadfast in his relationship. Look at number, verse number 14 of our text. Verse number 14. God says to David's offspring, I will be his father. And for some of us this morning, you hear the word father and you have mixed reviews, right? Because your dad wasn't all that or didn't show up or was abusive. But we can all agree that there's nothing like a good parent. And God is saying, listen, I will be steadfast in my relationship. I will be a father. And in that section we find as a father, he is down to earth. He says, if you sin, which literally means when they sin. Can I tell you something this morning? God is not surprised when his people fail and sin. This idea that I trust Christ and now I'm perfect from here on out is foolishness. The Bible tells us that God remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. He understands that we will sin. And yet when we do as his people, he doesn't cast us off. He doesn't dump us. He doesn't depart from us. We find that in the New Testament as well. First John chapter 2, John says, Beloved, don't sin. 
But when you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. God does not depart. He is steadfast in his relationship. And for some of us this morning, you have blown it. And your idea is, since I've blown it now, God is done with me. He's going to wrap me up in a tarp and say, you make me sick. I don't want to see your face anymore. Hey, that might be you at 10 o'clock at night with your kids. But that is not the God of heaven. He is a father who is faithful, and in his faithfulness, he will discipline. He says, I will chastise. Uh, Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. It's worth noting this morning on God's steadfastness, not only his word, but his relationship. As a father, he says in Hebrews 12.10, For they verily, speaking about our own fathers, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down, and your feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame is turned out of the way, and rather be healed. And God says, listen, I am steadfast as a father. You will do wrong. I will discipline you, but it's not to destroy you. And so you, you bear fruit. You become righteous. You're molded and shaped into the image of Christ. And then he says, therefore, don't be discouraged. If God is dealing with you, it means, first off, that you're his child. And secondly, he says, lift up your head. Be healed. That's the plan. It's not like a Benny Hinn. Be healed, right? That's nonsense. But he's talking about truly being healed in this process. God is steadfast in his word and in his relationship. Number two, God showers us with grace upon grace. Verses 8 and 9, God reminds David, he says, hey, Dave, I took you from following the sheep. I made you the man you are today. It is all by my grace. And then everything that follows, I went with you, I cut off your enemies, I made your name great, um, I have provided safety for Israel. It is all by God's grace. All of it. And so God says and reminds David, listen to me, I found you when you're a shepherd boy, and by my grace I have made you who you are and all of these benefits. And if that wasn't enough, and this is amazing. When I was a kid, I don't remember who sang the song. It was either um, Glenn Campbell. Anybody remember Glenn Campbell? Or Roger Miller. Remember Roger Miller? That's really old, isn't it? Roger Miller. Remember the song, If That Isn't Loving? If that isn't loving, then God didn't make little green apples, and it doesn't rain in Indianapolis. I mean, remember that song? Do you remember? Oh, that's great. I thought I was the only odd guy that knew all those dumb songs. Okay, you know those dumb songs. And the point is, he's talking about his, the romance with his wife, and he says, if what she does isn't loving, then, then all I have to say is then God didn't do all these things because he did. And I have to tell you something. If this isn't enough grace that God has bestowed upon David. He takes him as a shepherd. He makes him the man that he is. Everything that follows. And then he says this in verse number 11. Hey, Dave. Hey, shepherd boy. You're not building me a house. Mm -mm. After all that I've done for you by my grace, you're not building me a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. Do you understand that? That God in his grace, he lavishes it upon his people. 
Not only did he say, Dave, I'm taking you from being a shepherd boy and all these things, but beyond that, you're not building me a home. I'm going to build you a dynasty. A dynasty. My brother and sister, this is the God that we serve. He lavishes grace upon grace. John chapter 1, verse 16, you know it well. And of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. It means grace upon grace. And this morning, your story may not be, I was a poor shepherd boy. Probably no one, maybe, maybe Sycamus, I'm not sure. I was a poor shepherd boy, but I'll tell you what my story was. I was in a horrible pit. That's my story. I think David nails it in Psalm 40 when he says this. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto my God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. That's grace. That was grace that was extended to me, extended to you. And if that wasn't enough, and it is, if that wasn't enough, then the little green apple song and the rain song applies because not only does he take us and save us, but then David again says, daily he loads us down with his blessing. Listen to Psalm chapter 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. This is our God. My friend, listen to me. This God is steadfast in his word and his relationship. And this God showers his people with grace upon grace. Can I ask you this morning and think, where would you be today without Christ? Honestly, we were in the car the other day, Kim and I, and we were stopping at the store and we were talking about a couple of issues that were going on. And we're going into Walmart, one of my favorite spots. We're going to Walmart. We're walking to the parking lot. And we were talking about this situation, about our life and things that have been going on. And I said to her, I said, sweetheart, I'm 46. Is that right? All right. I'm 46, and I'm still standing. Praise the Lord. Because in my family growing up, I've had a cousin and an uncle murdered. I had one uncle try to murder someone who spent time in prison. Um, families with suicide in my circle, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, depression. We have lying, thieving fornicators. I come from really good stock. Really good stock. And can I tell you something? Not only by his grace did he save me, but daily he loads me down with blessings. I have a hunch today, if I were to talk to believers here, you would say, amen, amen, amen. This is our God. He showers us with grace upon grace. Number three, this God stoops down to our shame and the hardship of his people. The shame and the hardship of his people. 
those who have been here for some time, you know this about me. Um, I do not like camping. I hate it. I hate it. And I know, I know, I can see your faces. I know you would love it, all right? But, but I have to agree with the, the, the comedian who talks about um, how great camping is. And he says, the reason my parents didn't take me camping is because they loved me. <laughs> they loved me. And if the great outdoors is so great, why are all the bugs trying to get into my house? Right? Why don't they stay out there? And then he talks about his wife saying, well, camping's a tradition in my family. It was a tradition in everyone's family until we came up with houses. Right? So, so you, you camp, that's great. God bless you. But if you're going to ask me, hey, would you like to go out, camp with me for a week, and stay in a tent on the ground, um, fight the black flies and the mosquitoes, no warm water, no air conditioning, you know, no sanitation indoor, um, I have to tell you, I might just pass and go to work for a week, to be honest with you. I, I just not, and God bless you, that's good that you do that. Watch what the God of heaven does here, which blows my mind. Verses 5 and 6 of the text, he goes on to say to David, through Nathan, go tell my servant David, are you going to build me a house? Verse 6, I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent in a tabernacle. The God of the universe, I know you campers are happy now, The God of the universe says, David, I want you to know something. For 400 plus years, the God of heaven has decided to dwell in a tent with his people. And better than that, verse number 7, he says, And in all places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel. Listen to me. I want you to know that this God of heaven stoops down to where his people are. And in the wandering in the wilderness over 400 years, God was with his people through their tears, through their pain, through their disappointment, through the trials, through the triumphs, through the sadness, through the dancing. God is there. And and the world has, and Christians have this concept that, that deity, humanity, exclusive, never mixed, he's untouchable. He could not care less about us. My friend, that is not the case. We have a God who has chosen in his greatness to stoop down and live among us. Are we surprised at all when we come to the New Testament? Philippians chapter 2 tells us, who being in the form of God, verse number 6, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Can I tell you something this morning? You need to understand this. The God of heaven isn't afraid of the mess we find ourselves in. He actually shows up and he gets his hands dirty. He's aware. He knows. I think one of the great stories that I love in the New Testament, Mark chapter 1, verse 40, there's a, there's a leper there. He's unclean. He's defiled. His flesh is falling off his body. And he runs to Jesus and says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And what most Pharisees or teachers did during that time was they picked up stones and cast the stones at the leper, called him unclean, or at least walked on the other side of the street. Because they were unclean. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, having compassion, looks on him and 
touches him. He touches him and says, I will be thou clean. For we have a God who stoops to our level. He's involved in the mess of our lives. He touches us. And then the fourth and final thing about this God is he secures his people. He's almost obsessed with it. In verse number 10 of the text, he talks about, um, I will appoint a place for my people. I will plant them. I will dwell there. They will dwell. They will move no more. When I was a kid, from, from birth to 15, we moved eight times. Eight times. I know some of you did better than that because you were gypsies. I get it. But, but eight times is a lot. Some of you folks grew up in the same house. God bless you. That's wonderful. Moving stinks. If you don't think so, come and help us move the next time we do it. It's terrible. There's something about being at rest. And God, this God, secures his people. And this morning, we see it all throughout Scripture. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is our God. Some of you this morning are laboring. You're heavy laden. Christ says, you come. I'll give you rest. I'm meek and lowly. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And then one day he will give rest, not only in him, but in a safe home. Let me just read for you Revelation 21, 7. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And John, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my people. This God of ours promises to secure us rest, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so, brother and sister, this morning, this is your God. He is steadfast in his word, in his relationship with you. He's not going anywhere. It's not. He showers us. He lavishes us with grace upon grace. And if you take a moment today, you'd understand, you know what I'm talking about. He stoops to where we are. He finds us where we're at. Not afraid of rolling his sleeves up and getting dirty. He walks among us. And this God has promised that he will secure a place for us. He gives us peace and rest now, and he will eventually give us peace and rest forever. So what do we do with this? Let me show you what David did in verse number 18 of our text as we close out this morning. David hears all of this from the prophet Nathan. This is what God says to David. All of these things. This is who I am, David. This is what I will do. And here's what David does. The Bible tells us, and David went in and he sat before the Lord. Like, I am floored by what you just said. I cannot believe 
what you just said. And it's almost as if David can't even stand. It's just like, what, what did you just say to me? It would be good for us every now and then to just sit down and shut up and be quiet and think about God instead of rushing home and turning the TV or the computer on for five hours. And you wonder why you have distress in your life. You never look to him. This, this hits David. David says, he sits there. He says, sits there. He sits there. And then here's what he says in the same verse. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Isn't that the truth? When we see God for who he is, we just sit and say, God, who in the world am I? You found me. You saved me. You brought me here. I am floored. I, I, I can't believe this. And so David says, who am I? And then look what he says in verse number 22. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee according to all that we have heard with our ears. Is that not the truth today? God, who's like you? We've heard it today. But there, there's nobody like you. Who am I that you would be so kind and gracious? Lord, who are you? Who are you that you would do this? My friend, this morning, if you're without Christ, you should ask the question. <laughs> who am I and who are you? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say, not my will, but thine, Lord? The answer, I may never know just why he loved me so. And to an old rugged cross he would go. For who am I? The love of Christ. And then believer this morning, we should ask the same thing. Lord, uh, who am I? And then who are you? What a great God you are. Now listen to me. My fear is this morning we hear this thing. And we think that it just applies here in the morning. We, we got our message. We're out of here. Listen to me. We ought to sit down this week, maybe even today before we leave, and say, God, who am I? Who are you? And now how do I flesh all of this truth out in my daily life? Because when you leave this place, he is still God and you are still who you are. He still showered grace. How does that impact my life now? When I leave this place, do I trust his word? Do I, do I take rest in the relationship that is steadfast? Do I praise him that he showered grace upon grace even when this thing didn't go right in my life that I wanted? Do I understand that he stooped down to serve? Therefore, I must serve anyone and everyone. Can I take comfort in the fact that he has secured my life? No matter what comes my way, I am safe in him. You see, we got to think this through now, how I flesh this out. Because we can sit here and we can sit down and say, God, who am I and who are you? But if we leave this place, and that's the extent of it, we've wasted our time this morning. Let's have a word of prayer as we close off today.